What's up, people? I'm Jonathan Wiseman. This is another episode of The Grit. Today's going to be a fun one. I got Jonathan Horowitz in here, uh, who comes from a long lineage, a uh, long history of working in the hospitality business, and now you're running a hospitality consulting firm. Is that right? That's correct. It's about... Uh Five weeks old right now. Real cool. Well, I I really appreciate having you here. You're a legend in Houston. So thank you for coming on the show and being a guest. Yeah, thank you. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. This is going to be a little bit different. I was just telling you, this show is going to be a little bit different than many we've done in the past just because I was in this business for close to 20 years. Uh, more on the nightclub and industry side. You're more restaurant background. Yeah, but. restaurants and uh, wine bars in particular. Well, let's go ahead and take it back. Uh, first, tell me how you got into the business. Um, but where did you grow up at? I want to learn a little bit about you for the audience. Sure. So um, I've actually been in Houston for 30 years. Uh, this fall will be 30 years. And I grew up in New Hampshire, uh, okay. of all places. I'm, I'm still a Yankee by trade. And uh, came down here to go to college, went to Rice and uh, never left been here literally ever since so so college brought you here college brought me here and i really really loved the city um took to it right away had a great experience at, at rice it was fantastic loved everything about it i actually went to rice on a golf scholarship wow. uh, yeah played golf in college realized pretty quickly that i wasn't going to be able to make a career out of that um as i had hoped all the way kind of as i was growing up and playing junior golf and all that i that was going to be my career path that was my plan uh that didn't last very long once i got to college and realized that there are a whole lot of really 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 good golfers out there (laughs) if i was going to do that as a career i'd probably end up pretty poor and uh, i didn't want to end up really poor so blame me uh Got through college and kind of was trying to figure out what to do, and I ended up going to law school. Um, took the LSAT, went to law school here in Houston. Did that, obviously, for three years. Um, clerked for a judge for a year, and then ended up going to work for a big law firm downtown. And so I was a young associate in a big firm and uh, dealt with all of the things that come along, you know, with, that that. Come along with that. Yeah. Um, and I did that for about five or six years. Uh, and I was kind of in my late twenties, kind of pushing 30 ish. And I realized that, um, I wasn't gonna, you know, I, I kind of looked around and said, do I really love this? Do I love what I'm doing? And I I looked at the older partners in the firm and, you know, guys have been doing it 30, 40 years. And I kind of looked at them and I was like, is that, is that really what I wanted? (laughs) Is, is that what I'm working towards? And so I kind of had one of those moments, you know, where I just kind of looked around at myself and had some discussions internally and said, you know, what, what do you really like to do? What do you want to do? And I'd always been a food and wine guy. I grew up in a, a family that really kind of appreciated food and wine. My dad was a wine collector. Um, we traveled a lot, but nobody in our family had ever really been in the industry. Um, I never worked in a restaurant, never was a server or anything like that. Nobody was in the business, but I, I really liked it. I liked the hospitality aspect of it. I just, I gravitated towards that. So I kind of looked around and I was like, you know, is there anything I can do that would kind of get me into that path? And by chance, uh, it was, um, fall of 2004. I went in for the first time to a little tiny wine bar, uh, in uptown Houston called the tasting room. I and yeah, and so it had opened in September of 2003. 
and it was uh, opened up by a husband and wife couple. Um, ironically, the the wife was an attorney um, as well, and uh, the husband was a, a former pilot. Um, had gotten laid off after nine eleven from uh, Continental. Gotcha. And uh, they developed this small wine bar concept. And I went in there uh, about a year or so after it had opened, and I, I looked around. I was like, this is kind of cool. And so I just asked the bartender kind of randomly. I said, you know, who owns the place? And she gave me the business card, and I sent a cold call email, um, basically describing myself, you know, said I was in your place. I thought it was cool. Here's who I am. This is what I'm doing. And I'm kind of interested in learning a little bit about the business. I don't know anything about the business, but uh, maybe we could get together and talk. And, you know, maybe there's an opportunity for me to come in and learn a little bit, maybe pull some shifts or just shadow a little bit or something like that. And so we met right around the holiday time of 04, kind of hit it off, spent a couple hours, had a bottle of wine, talked about things, and they were planning on expanding. Um, It had been well received in the past year. And they were looking for somebody to help them, you know, grow the business. And um, Jerry was was involved in the day-to-day operations. His wife, Laura, wasn't. She was uh, at Hewlett-Packard uh, as an attorney. And we spent about the next six months kind of working out a deal, getting to know each other, um, and hashed out a deal. And I bought part of the company from them, kind of bought in at that point in the summer of 05. And how did you fund that? Um, was that, it from being a lawyer? Well, essentially, yeah, okay. savings, um, gotcha. and there, and there was a kind of a sweat equity component okay. to it, so sure. a, an earn in. Very familiar with those. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's a, it's a good way to go if you it can is. make it work. Um, and so we started on the path, and I kind of learned everything from the ground up and on the job training, um, and we spent ten years doing that. So we started growing the tasting room concept. Um, at the end of two thousand six, we developed and opened the first Max's Wine Dive concept uh, here in Houston. We then took that concept to nine total locations, um, six in Texas, and then we opened Atlanta, Chicago, and Denver. And how was that? How was it opening in other cities and states? How, how very you, difficult. <laughs> well, and, and it's, you know, because I remember running establishments here. Yeah. And didn't get near to the level of success you were at. But when I think about expanding into other markets, uh, even if from Houston to Sugarland, you can drive there. But once you get into Austin or Dallas, yeah. how do you manage that? How do you control it? The, I think what we learned is the, the biggest component of that is taking great people from your existing team and putting them there. I've had experiences where we tried to hire everybody new, tried to go in somewhere and do, you know, local people and and things like that. And when you have folks coming in for the first time, you're trying to indoctrinate them at the same time they're trying to get things open and run things and and all of the craziness that goes on with new openings, which you're very familiar with. It makes a huge difference if you have people from your quote core team who understand everything, know the way you want it, know the way it should be, have drunk the Kool-Aid for however long. Sure. um, And can go in there and kind of translate the culture as best as possible. It's hard when you're kind of doing it fresh with all kinds of new people. And we learned the hard way uh, how difficult it is to take a brand that has success in one place and try to translate it 
far away. Sure. So we opened, like I said, Atlanta, Chicago, and Denver. Uh, the only one still existing is Denver. And um, it's been, you know, it, it was difficult to cultivate that in a, in a whole new uh, environment, a whole new market. And it doesn't necessarily matter how successful you are in your local yeah, neighborhood. Sure. When, when people have no idea who you are, what you are, what you're doing, you're starting all over again. Yeah. And it's hard to do that remotely. I can imagine. It's really hard to do that remotely. Even, you know, even Dallas. And, you know, I, 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 I was with that company for 10 years um, from 05 to 15. And since after I left in, in 15, um, it's overall, it's, it's struggled a bit. Um, they've closed my, my former partners, uh, have closed a number of restaurants and, uh, tasting rooms and maxes and other things. So it's, it's been a bit of a struggle, um, for them, uh, over the years, but, uh, it was a tremendous learning experience. I mean, I used to joke and, and you'll appreciate this. I used to joke that there was nobody in the company who had run more cat five cable through the walls. than I had <laughs> <laughs> because I mean, you know, when, in there. <laughs> yeah, when, when you're in a small business like that, you, you literally do everything. So, yeah. um, from the operational side to the marketing, the PR and everything else and build outs and you know, all of that. Uh, and I like to get my hands dirty with that kind of stuff. Sure. So, um, that was, it, it was fun, but it was hard. Uh, how important is it to have, you know, standard operating procedures for the locations, you know, building that culture, your core value, how much of that do you actually implement at one location before you're able to expand? And do you wait for that to be a proven business model and have the social proof before you move forward? Yes. And there, there's, there's kind of two different formulas. One is sort of the mom and pop starting out, develop a following, grow organically. Organic. Yeah, totally sure. organically. You got to, you know, you build the following, get a great customer base, have a good product, um, develop your systems and your processes and your people, uh, which is the most important, developing the people. And then you decide, okay, have I gotten to that point? Am I comfortable enough? Is the market ready for another one of these? and we'll see how it goes. That's one way. The other formula is somebody gives you a big pile of money all at once, whether that's private equity or a big investor or funder, said, you know, here's your box of money, go build a bunch of these because I want to see growth and I want to see return and I want to see, you know, and so that is a whole different yeah. scenario, sure. uh, which happens. I mean, it, it does happen. And sometimes it's with a new brand, sometimes it's, it's an existing brand. And you have these PE guys come in and say, you know, here's 20 million bucks and I want to see 30 locations within the next four years. Okay, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, that, that changes the dynamic completely. Yeah. But more often than not, it's the former scenario where you get to that point where you say, okay, we're doing really well. You know, cash flow is good. Debt is low. You know, we've got the systems, the systems in place and the people in place. We've created that environment that we think okay ready for a second location and then it really becomes um a process of finding a great spot and you know this from your experiences uh one side of the street to the other can make a big difference yeah. i mean it really does well and for other people out here one of my biggest things was finding people yeah finding and, well, good and, people. and that's still it but staffing has always been the hardest part of my job and the turnover is always ridiculous. 
for other people that are aspiring to get in this business or are in this business and watching this, what do you suggest to them or what little tips and tricks do you have that you don't mind sharing for people, how to source them and then how to keep them? Yeah. And it's, I mean, if anybody's thinking about getting in the business right now, I would dissuade them as much yeah, as possible. I, I, mean, I have always. It's I get tough. It. it is. It's really, really hard. Um, and truthfully right now, I mean, just the past three to five years, um, with unemployment being as low as it is just across the board, and this is everywhere in the country, it's just not locally. Uh, every, everyone I talk to, everywhere I go, uh, whether it's through the restaurant associations or just network of, of people talking, number one issue is finding qualified labor. Not even skilled anymore. It used to be, you know, we want to find great, you know, skilled. Yeah. No, give me anybody with some brain cells and a heartbeat and we'll train them. <laughs> yeah. Anything, because it's so hard to find people right now. So one of the things that, you know, I've always been touting, I guess, in terms of the people side of things is the old adage that everybody knows or probably has heard of hire slowly and fire quickly. You will know very early on whether or not somebody's going to be a good fit. And that really applies to any level uh, within your particular organization. And so, you know, in this business in particular, sure, personality is huge. Yeah. And, and, and Specifically, if they're on the front lines, if they're customer facing, you know, kinds of positions, you want to make sure that whomever you're bringing in to your environment is a good fit. And with their personality, with the customers that you're trying to service and, and all of those things, it, it should take a while to go through the process, to do the vetting and to make sure that whomever you're bringing in is, is the right fit. And then once they're there, like I said, you'll know within 30 to 60 days easily whether or not they're really going to be a good fit and they're going to, you know, enhance the culture, fit in with the culture, whatever, whatever the culture is that you're trying to develop, yeah. you're going to know pretty quickly. The problem that we're seeing right now is that it's so difficult to find anybody that you don't have the time to do the vetting. You don't necessarily fire as quickly as you should because you need the bodies yeah you need them to survive yeah and just to open i mean there were a couple of years ago i know specifically in austin there were a couple of hotels that couldn't open because they just couldn't find the staff to to literally open yeah and you know that's very unusual well and sometimes you'll see the staff knows that of and they course. know they have you by the balls. Absolutely. And so they milk it for what they can. Well, and what that's forced, and you know, it's, it's absolutely just the simple law of supply and demand. Sure. Wages have gone way up, right? We used to pay line cooks, you know, seven to $9 an hour or whatever it is. Now it's 14. Damn. Um, you know, dishwashers are making 10, 12 bucks an hour. Or it used to be six. Um, and so, you know, all of that has changed the dynamic along with all of the other costs that continue to go up, whether that's, you know, insurance or product costs or, or anything rents, rents are, you know, ridiculous yeah. everywhere. Um, but what we see now is particularly in the hospitality industry, we're being forced to act like bigger companies, you know, provide benefits, give paid time off, you know, all of these things that are typically associated with different industries. Yeah. With corporate, uh, with corporate are now in the hospitality industry, even for the mom and pops. 
because it's so easy for somebody to move and pop over to the next new place and the next hot thing. Because what we haven't seen, even though it's so difficult, what we haven't seen is a slowdown in the growth of the industry. It's, it makes your head spin every, you know, all the new openings every week. There's, yeah. you know, five, 10 new openings. Yeah. You look at the TABC list and it's just growing exponentially. Always. Yeah. Always. And you know, all you have to do is read the paper or other publications around town and all they do half the time is cover new openings because there are so many. And now we're starting to see a little bit of a shakeout um, with, you know, operations that have kind of been hanging on for a while. Yeah, dive into that a little bit more. Tell me about that. Yeah, I mean, things are, are, are difficult um, across the board, and it's a combination of factors. So we're seeing, particularly now, we're seeing a lot more turnover. We're seeing closures um, that people weren't expecting. You know, you'll, you'll see it on social media in particular. It's like, I can't believe that place closed. It was packed all the time. And, you know, uh, we, you know, we love it there and it's great and it's a great location. So I can't believe it closed. I can't believe it closed. And what people don't see obviously is what's going on on the backside. Sure. And, uh, you know, a lot of people, as I'm sure you experienced and you know, a lot of people who did this, um, family members included who get into the business without really knowing what it is, what, what, is involved in, in I used all. to see it all the time. Yeah. I used to see people with deep pockets that just wanted right. the limelight. Right. You know, they wanted to be whatever they wanted to be for their own personal reasons. And they would just throw money at it and just lose their ass. Well, and it's, it's, and I use this analogy all the time. It's the same in any, any industry. You can be great at what you do, but if you don't know how to run a business, it's not going to survive. So you look at these fantastic chefs, right? Why are they a fantastic <clears throat> chef? Well, they're creative. They can cook and they're, people love them. Does that mean that they're going to know how to run a business and balance a balance sheet and handle the P and L's and do it? No, it, it, it doesn't mean that they have those skills. You can be a great doctor, right? You can be a fantastic doctor, but if you don't know how to run your business and you don't know how to make the numbers work or you don't surround yourself with people who know how to make the numbers work, it's not going to work. It's just not going to work. Uh, I think it's a great uh, something to point out. Yeah. Because uh, you have to be the business person first, unless you're going to have other people do it for you and you're going to be an employee. That's great. But if you're going to be the owner and you're going to do it, you have to understand how to run the business first. And then all those other things hopefully fall in line. Sure. So what we're seeing now, um, is a lot of operations where because rents have gone up, they've gotten themselves into situations where they can't you know, cover this crazy. Yes. I mean, I even remember I retired from the business eight years ago and the last location where I was at was in city center oh, yeah. and rent was 30 grand a month. Actually for both, for all uh -huh. of it, it was closer to 40. Yep. How the hell do you pay 40 grand a month? I mean, you got to do 200 grand in income just to break even for paying the rent. Yes. It's yes. absolutely insane what they're going for. And, and it's, you know, you think of that on a smaller scale when you're a, 1500 square foot, you know, fast, casual mom and pop kind of thing. And the only places you can get into are 30 plus dollars a foot, you know, it's hard to survive. It's very, very, very hard to survive. So we're seeing that shake out a little bit, um, partly because of, of rents being very difficult for people to cover labor, you know, as, as we were talking about, labor's gotten a heck of a lot more expensive all of the other things that go into running the business have gotten more expensive. You've got to provide, you know, various insurance and healthcare and, uh, product costs have gone up 
uh, across the board. And so all of those things combine to reduce your margins in an industry where the margins were already slim. Yeah, they used to be, what, 18 to 22%, 22 if you were good? If you're killing it just for EBITDA, yeah, if you're killing it. I mean, 20, 20% now is, is way, way up here. And what we're seeing is places that are just kind of moderately successful are making single-digit EBITDA, and they're, you know, barely breaking even in, in net. So it's harder and harder and harder. And, and again, we can, we can go off on all kinds of tangents, but sure. you're seeing third-party delivery. You're seeing these new things called ghost kitchens where people, you know, are not building restaurants and they're just renting kitchens and doing delivery only. All of those things are kind of eating into the marketplace. I was talking to somebody a couple of days ago. I think it was a chef. It was either chef or real estate guy. He said he had seen a list of a hundred locations, a hundred restaurants in the Houston area that were all quietly on the down low trying to sell, trying to get out just, just to get out of it because they're having trouble making ends meet. And I, I didn't see the list, but he was describing some of them and it was all like, I can't believe that they're actually not as successful as everybody thinks they yeah. are, you know, and it's a surprise to a lot of people. I can imagine. It really is. Cause in, and, and again, it can look great on the front end. The customer sees, you know, a full dining room and, and all of that and a celebrity chef or whatever it is, great mixologist, cool bartenders, but behind the scenes, they don't, they're not they, making they don't know what's going on behind the scenes. That's amazing. It's that's the hard part. So we're talking about a list that somebody's talking about where there's a lot of companies in the hospitality that are hurting right now. Yeah. And, and, thinking about maybe is there an exit strategy kind of situation. And again, a lot of, a lot of allegedly, a lot of them are, are locations that seem to be extremely successful and should be profitable, et cetera. And, um, you know, the, the point being that you just kind of never know what's going on behind the scenes with particularly, um, all of the challenges that, that restaurants in particular are facing right now. It's just hard. Okay. And that's what your company does. Well, in theory, um, I, I'm, you know, well, like let's I, go ahead and take a step back. Yeah. I, I would like to know, let's talk a little bit cause we kind of left off with Max's wine dive. Yeah. That group. Yeah. In the tasting room. What sure. was it that you did after that to led to you launching your own consulting firm sure. a few weeks ago? Yeah. Yeah. Just a few weeks ago now. Um, yeah. So I did the, the Max's and tasting room thing for about 10 years, almost exactly 10 years. I took a little time off that summer of 15, um, but I had gotten to know uh, a guy who had purchased uh, two very iconic Houston brands uh, back in the early 2000s, and I kind of kept in touch with him over the years. So the two brands were the original Ninfas uh, on Navigation, Mm -hmm. which was uh, opened in 1973, really, really well-known Tex-Mex uh, actually the birthplace of the fajita. Everybody uh, here knows that. That's company. right. Everybody here does. Everybody yeah. here does. Um, and then, uh, the other company was Antone's po boys, which was actually opened in Houston in 1963, uh, sandwich local kind of sandwich chain, uh, also very, very iconic in this region. And so the owner of that company reached out to me and we kind of reconnected after I left, uh, tasting room Max's. And in September of 15, uh, he brought me on to be the CEO of Legacy Restaurants, which is the company that owns and operates those two brands. 
and he wanted to accomplish a few things. Um, he had had those brands for maybe about 15 years, maybe a little bit less, 12, 12 13 years. And he wanted to do a few things. He wanted to kind of stabilize um, the existing operations, uh, improve what was already there, and then kind of get everything prepared for growth. Um, and so that was kind of the way I entered that, uh, that role. And so spent a couple of years um, stabilizing. Tell me what improving. you mean by stabling, stabilizing. I, I, there, were, there were not a lot of... Um, not a lot of systems and processes. It, it, you know, uh, the the blessing and the curse of of really successful old brands and iconic brands like that is you've had people who've been there twenty, thirty years. Lifers, lifers, and they have a certain way of doing things because that's the way they've always done it. Yeah, and you know, change is very, yeah. very difficult. There's <laughs> an sure. amazing resistance to change, yeah. and um, so therefore there weren't a lot of systems in place. Um, there wasn't a very good structure of people in just how it was being operated. So first and foremost was kind of get a handle on everything, figure out how everything worked and then make adjustments, you know, with regard to people. And I brought in some folks that I'd worked with before, um, that, you know, I had relationships with trusted, et cetera, sure. um, and kind of shored everything up and kind of got things, um, on the right path just in terms of all the operations. And so that took a couple of years and then we started thinking about how do we grow? And so we got into that phase uh, of the, of the plan and we did And last year in 2019, uh, we opened three new restaurants and it was basically the first time that they had done that in a long, long time. So we opened a new original Ninfas in the uptown Galleria area of Houston. Uh, we opened a new, Antone's Po' Boys uh, in the medical center um, area in Houston. And then we launched kind of a, a spin-off brand of original Ninfas called Mama Ninfas Tacos y Tortas. And we did a small little um, QSR uh, in a um, food court in downtown, in the tunnels, uh, okay. downtown Houston. So that process took a couple years, sure. um, getting it, you know, bringing it to fruition from everything that we had planned. And that got us to basically the end of last year. And so again, through that process, um, learned a lot again, you know, how are all those locations doing now? Um, fairly well, fairly well. I think the, the big ninfas, you know, is still finding its footing. Um, it's been, uh, it's been a little bit more challenging, I think, than, than anticipated, um, the is other, growing the other that two are fast well. is one of the concerns spreading yourself thin if you do try to take on too much it is and you know we we had planned to space it out a little bit better um, and through a series of things and a lot of that having to do with permitting and construction sure. and all that we had everything gets pushed back yeah yeah we had some random guy doing our construction so you know uh, <laughs> i think you may know him yeah um <laughs> we'll give him a plug josh wiseman that's right construction concepts built at houston.com <laughs> built at houston.com um so you know they all ended up kind of well we had one in the summer and then two very close together um in the fall and winter and so yeah i mean building the teams getting the training in place and all of that um, it's hard and, and it takes a lot of time, takes a lot of people's energy 
And while you're doing all that, you can't forget about the existing businesses. Sure. You know, yeah. you, you still have to run everything that's, that's going. And so, um, you can't really take your eye off the ball. And so there's a lot of juggling that goes on. Um, and you know, things get missed, things fall through the cracks. It's tough. Um, what you try to do is just see the, the bigger picture and hopefully have a good team on the ground who can execute, um, the vision. So we did all that last year and got to the point where I'd been there about four and a half years. Um, our owner through a series of discussions and basically he started to get more involved in the process, which was not necessarily anticipated. Um, and then he essentially decided that after last year, there wasn't going to really be any more growth. And so that didn't necessarily jive with what I had planned. And so, you know, I started thinking about what am I going to do next and what did I want to do? And based on everything that I had been able to do and everything that I learned over the previous 15 years or so, kind of let itself. Yeah. Yeah. And, and at this point I've, basically done other than being a chef right because i'm not a chef uh, i can cook but i i'm i'm by no means a chef but essentially i've done everything else in the entire life cycle of a restaurant operation from concept creation to design to build out to openings to all the pr and marketing and media which i really love um through growth scaling and demise yeah <laughs> you know literally everything in yeah between. And throw a running cat five in there somewhere sure why not why not <laughs> it's all part of the process yeah i had one night where i was literally uh, as an aside i was stringing little crystal beads onto a chandelier <laughs> at like two in the morning i mean literally because everybody else had gone home and we had to get the, the chandelier yeah up you had to open at 9 a.m right, tomorrow right. so i'm i'm sitting there with tweezers literally trying to put these little crystals on the, the chandelier. stuff that josh and i went through and <laughs> no. the hour yeah. to pull it off by the time I it was i mean what we were doing 30 minutes before we opened the doors yes. up on ladders. They, I mean, I just remember at all of our locations, or most of them. It's inevitable. Everybody's like, there's no fucking way you're right, opening right. tomorrow. Right. And it's like, watch. Yeah. And when those lights go on, I mean. but It's it, showtime. Yeah. It's, it's showtime. You're in the ceiling tiles, right. you know, till three in the morning every single night. Yeah. We had we opened one Max's Wine Dive, the one in San Antonio. I remember we were supposedly opening for business that night dinner that night at 5 p.m the furniture showed up at like two <laughs> been there <laughs> you know been there <laughs> it's like okay i guess we can open yeah uh, i think johnny sports bar we did that <laughs> furniture was arriving as the right, first game right. was playing people were just standing around drinking <laughs> why not give them free beer they'll forget yeah, about exactly. it exactly well you know if, if you can just get them to help you put the furniture yeah, together there you go <laughs> <laughs> make it a party absolutely um so i started kind of thinking again about all the experiences that i had and and it really kind of came down to two things for me and i've, I've been able to kind of just distill it into these two things first being at this point in my career and everything we were just talking about there's probably no better time for me to do this personally if i'm ever going to do it if i'm ever going to you know be on my own be my own boss and all of that other stuff now's the time so i've had all the experiences i've been very very fortunate i I know a lot of people in the industry Uh, apparently it seems i've got a pretty decent reputation around town so all of those things combined kind of told me if I'm ever going to do this now, now the time. Yeah. Th- this is it. 
So that was the first reason. The second thing is, as we've just been talking about, there are a lot of people who need a lot of help. And, you know, everybody says, don't start a business unless you know, know there's a market for it, right? And if there's a need, well, there's a market for in, it. In, in my people. opinion, in my opinion right now, there is a significant need for somebody to be able to come in with an objective eye from the outside and take a look at things and say, this is working, this isn't working, here's what you should consider, or, you know, cut bait, time to go, you know, uh, analyze that, or successful places that are either just starting out or, or wanting to grow, here's how, here, here's a bit of a playbook on how you can scale, or you wanna build something new, here are the steps in the process. So. Um, I so whatever the situation is, whether you're trying to get out of a jam or you're doing fine and you're ready to scale. Right. Or just make things better. Yeah. Or, or make things Optimize better. Optimize it. Right. Exactly. And so. Improve your margins by a few percentages. Oh, and those, those they add every up. single percentage point is absolutely crucial. So, you know, like I said, I, I launched February 1st. So about five weeks ago, uh, this is the, I think the end of the fifth week and, um, the response has been really good, you know, so far, um, been doing a lot of networking, a lot of meetings, um, just trying to talk to anybody and everybody I can in terms of finding out who's out there, what the needs are. Um, and you know, I've got a couple of really good clients lined up, um, a couple more coming online. And they've been everything from business evaluation, right? You know, been struggling. Take a look at this. Can it be fixed? Should it be fixed? If so, how, right? How do we make it better? Or should we change, you know? And, and so there's been that kind of business evaluation. For companies that are falling a little behind or they might be on the list that we we're talking about earlier or they need a little bit of help, what is it that you can bring to the table? How can you help them? Yeah, so my goal is to go in and be able to really evaluate things. If it's, if it's existing operations, um, I wanna be able to go in and take a look at everything from a holistic perspective and say, what's working, what's not? Can it be improved? If it can be improved, how? And here are some strategies that you can use to try to improve it. Or here's what I've found and here's why it's not going to work and it probably can't be salvaged and you know i've found that sometimes a lot of people just want to hear the truth because they they're so deep into it themselves sure they don't want to believe that that it could be or they don't know or, or they don't know they don't and i think that's great that you mentioned that because there's a lot of times where companies don't re and they just keep digging a bigger hole right because they, they don't know how to get out of it um and that's kind of you, you, you know the phrase the death spiral right where yeah. you know people are throwing good money after bad and you know trying to do whatever they can and they're cutting here and cutting there and eventually you just kind of cut so much that you just you, you can't survive yeah. you, you just can't survive so that's one aspect of it but the other aspect is folks who are either just starting out or trying to develop a new concept um, I can go in and you know provide some areas of expertise in this is how you can do it and and this is what you need to be concerned about and the other the other benefit really is i've been fortunate enough over the years to develop a really good network of you know the old trusted advisors yeah. right you want to have your trusted advisors and so there are certain people in the industry that i can go to and say you know what if you've got an hr issue here's where you should go 
talk to this guy. If you got an insurance question, you know, here's that. If you need health coverage, here's where you go for that. And so I've got a couple of clients that uh, one is an existing restaurant group that is launching a, a new location, new concept, big new restaurant, 6,000 square feet, something they've never done before. Can you plug them yet or no? Um, yeah, they, we're, we're on board. It's official. So there's a, a really great brand that's been around in downtown Houston for about 40 years called Tree Beards. Okay. And they've been lunch only. They've got five small locations in, in downtown Houston. Um, they've been lunch only. And they announced about a month or six weeks ago that they're, they're going to open their first ever big full service restaurant. Wow. On the in Memorial area of Houston. So 6,000 square foot restaurant. Um, the owners, they've, they've never done the dinner service cause it's always been lunch only in yeah. downtown and they've never done a full bar for a restaurant. So they have asked me to come in and, um, help them develop the, the bar I can program. See how that could be program. scary for them. Oh yeah. Never venturing there. Absolutely. And so it seems like a perfect fit for you to come on and help with that. Right. And right. And so I've gone out and I found a chef to help with the culinary and, a, a bar consultant mixologist to help with the bar. And so now I've got a little bit of a team. And so we're going to, you know, really help them get through the opening process, um, which is exciting. Um, there's another one I'm working with, which is a, uh, development company that's building a, a new kind of entertainment complex, a large 30,000 square foot Man. kind of bowling alley, arcade, top golf simulators and all kinds of big, massive project. Um, and so they've, asked me to come in and help um, with basically the development of the food and beverage program. So those are kind of the creative kind of launching sort of things, which I love doing. I mean, sure. that's the cool, that's the fun, th- part. Th- that's the fun part, right? Running them every day is, isn't the most fun, yeah. but yeah, you, when you get to build them and be, be creative and bring in people and see something, you know, grow and develop and come to fruition, that's really cool. Um, so I've got kind of those things going on and also sort of the, the business evaluation. I had a long meeting with a, a fairly successful group um, yesterday, uh, about 15 locations of a, of a family-friendly kind of fast casual concept. And, you know, they've got some units that are underperforming and we talked about how I'm, I could go in and kind of evaluate their systems and evaluate their business and some of their people um, and, and kind of give them advice as to what could or should be changed uh, to try to improve things. So I don't know if I'm going to get that gig yet, but we'll find, uh, out. We'll, we'll, we'll find out. Yeah. yeah. Well, and to speak to that, when there is a company that has quite a few locations and there's a few that are underperforming right. and the other ones are carrying the weight of that, mm-hmm. what is you know something that you would suggest to somebody in that situation or how to attack that? Yeah. So if you, if you get past what I would call a location issue, right? If, if, if it's not just about where you put it and you realized, man, I just never should open in this neighborhood or this is the wrong, this is just totally the wrong place for, for this concept. If that's not your issue, then I would start first and foremost with the people who are the, who are the people in there? I mean, I'm talking employees, not customers, but you know, how are your people contributing to, what you want them to be doing, you know, how are they contributing to the success of the place or are they at all? And that usually, usually in some form or fashion is where the issue lies. Yeah. Um, 
and and it can be anything and and when i say you know people it's not that they're necessarily bad people right or i'm not talking about them stealing or anything like that for example you know you could have a great chef in there but if he can't control inventory and doesn't know how to do the ordering and isn't controlling food costs yeah then you're not going to make any money could be could be a great person mean really well but if they're ordering too much or waste is a yeah. huge issue and your and your food cost is 40 plus percent you're just not going to make any money uh, you know and so when i say start with the people it's an evaluation of not only are they contributing to the culture and are they are they trustworthy and all of that it's are they doing the job technically like they need to be doing to make it successful. Yeah. Well, and I know you're in the hospitality business and you help companies that are in that business specifically for the audience that's watching what different areas or niches within the hospitality business. Cause it's kind of a wide umbrella. Now I think it's spread out a little bit uh, under that umbrella, which companies do you typically work with? Yeah, I mean, right now it's focused pretty heavily on restaurants, um, you know, in general, uh, and it can be any kind. And because most of the time, the elements of, of what you're looking at, what you're doing are, are pretty universal, right? So, um, again, people, systems, processes, uh, locations, you know, all of that. And then not even getting into your your area, which is no. all the marketing and the PR and how you're doing media and you know, are you in social media? What's your website look like? And all of those other elements that kind of go into it. So I focus right now pretty heavily in the restaurant sector, but a lot of these things, again, are transferable, um, particularly your people, your processes, and your product, right? So if you watch The Profit with Mark, Marcus yep. Lemonis, um, you know, the three P's, that's the first, yeah, it's where he starts and it holds true. It's, it's it universal. It, it's people, processes, and product. And so, um, those things are transferable. Um, this, this new entertainment center thing that, that I'm working on now is a little bit different where and it, is that new to Houston? Um, this, this concept, this location will be, okay. um, you you may be familiar with it. It's the old uh, Palace Bowling Lanes on Bel Air that's being redone, hmm. um, and so they've they've announced it's it's no secret what's going in there. Um, but you know that's a massive, it's a big area, massive project with all kinds of moving parts. It's not just restaurant bar. So yeah. there's a lot of other considerations there. Um, the other thing that that I'm personally doing, and being a an attorney, it's not that far of a stretch, but. I'm also in the process of getting my real estate license. So as I'm working with various concepts and various companies, if they are having lease issues, real estate issues, whatever, I can add that as a service. Or if they say, well, this is all going really well and now we're ready to expand. Well, I can go find you some locations and I can be a, an actual real estate agent uh, in in the commercial real estate world. I think that's world. amazing. Yeah, you can. There, the, it locations everything. It is other than the three P's. Right, right. Location right. is everything. It makes it, it makes a huge difference for sure. 
And so if you can add that to the portfolio yeah. to not only help people find the right location, but also to know what's going on in the industry and what standard when it comes to tenant improvement, yes. rent abatement. Yes. I remember the first locations we had, I didn't know what rent abatement was. Right. And there, I'm right. sure there's many others that get into the business and don't realize they can get 20 to $80 a square foot for TI. Right. And get exactly. help building out their location. So Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's ironic because before I left the house this morning, I was actually reviewing a lease um, for somebody who's trying to get out of it. And, um, I was, there were a couple things in there. I was like, I can't believe that that provision is still in there. And of course, everything is written so landlord friendly. And there are, there were a couple things in that particular one, which I know you can get negotiated out right on the front end. It's like, yeah. I'm not, I'm, I'm not paying you for that. Right. I mean, that's ridiculous. And usually landlord is like, okay, you know, sorry. And yeah, we'll take it out. Um, but you know, there are a lot of really great commercial real estate agents that work with the restaurants and bars and stuff in Houston. And, and that's great. I feel like I have the opportunity to add a little bit of a different dimension coming at it from an operator's standpoint, sure. having been on the other side of the table for so long, um, to really kind of know how to deal with it, what locations are good, to be able to look at it from a business perspective and say, you know, look, man, it's a great concept. Let's look at your numbers. What do your pro formas look like? What are you projecting? Well, now let's compare that with the lease you're about to sign. Yeah. And that's not going to work, right? You shouldn't, you, know, you just shouldn't do it, which is a little counterintuitive because usually the real estate agents just like sign the lease so I can, yeah. Yeah, I can get the commission and, sure. you know, and, and get it done. Um, I want to be able to kind of go in and do it a little bit differently where it's like, okay, we really need to do an evaluation of the whole thing. And can you survive here? And what, what is your worst case scenario? in your pro forma, can you still make your rent and, yeah. you know, can you cover your nut every month? So I, I want to be able to add that in as a, as an additional kind of service and offer. Yeah. I mean, and I can see that when you're looking at it, you know, through a lens, a bird's eye view, right. you're looking at a whole package, a long-term relationship, not just closing a lease and getting a one-time commission and walking right. away. Right. So that brings a lot of value to the client. Yeah. And I want to be able to stick with somebody and say, okay, well now we've found you a great location. The lease is as good as it's going to get. Yeah, it's a long-term investment. It is very much a long-term investment. Usually it's at least five years or sometimes 10. And so I, I, then I can say to them, all right, now let's figure out how we're going to build this out. Let's look at your budgets. Now I can help you with your opening. You want to do PR and marketing media. I can help you with that as well. And just try to be as full service as possible. Um, so we'll see how it goes. Yeah. I'm looking forward to following that journey as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's for people cool. that are looking to get into this business, oh. no bullshit, no nonsense. <laughs> Don't what, do it. What would you, that's my question. What would you tell somebody looking to get into the restaurant business that's never been in it before in the Houston market? Okay. So I have like a ton of things that come to mind immediately. Right. Um, Besides, don't do it. <laughs> well, besides, right. once, once we get past that and we've decided, okay, we are really are going to do it, um, make sure you know how to run a business, right? Understand numbers. Know your way around a P&L. Um, you know, ideally, somebody doing it will have had some experience in the restaurant industry. So you know how to do monthly inventory and what kind of state sales taxes and franchise taxes and all these other things that you're going to have to deal with some sort of business acumen, right? Other than, and, and you've seen this a million times, 
other than I've been sitting at this bar for five years. It's a great spot. I really like the bartender. He's got a good head on his shoulders. I'm going to give him a pile of money so he can go do his own place. That just never works. How many times have you seen that? <laughs> too many. Way too many. Way too many. Yeah. Um, so understand business first. You know. Um, second thing is find good, experienced people. Surround yourself with those people. Get a good group of trusted advisors. Find a good lawyer. Find a good real estate agent. Find a good insurance guy. Find a good contractor. You know, all of those things. It it takes a village right it, it literally takes a village um understand that whatever budgets you think you have it's going to be twice as expensive always the in my opinion the number one reason why places fail and and people always talk about the failure rate the the two to five year failure rate in the restaurant industry is like 80 to 90 percent right and it's brutal and in my opinion, the number one reason that that happens is that people are undercapitalized from the beginning and they just don't understand the amount of cash that it takes to get something from concept to stabilization after opening. Well, and I love that you say stabilization because concept to opening is what most that's a piece people, of the puzzle. No, that's, that's what most people are looking at. They're short-sighted. It, yeah. It's this is my idea. This is my concept. If I can just get the doors open. Right. They don't realize they need to cover the overhead for another year minimum. Yeah. And make sure they got an extra year in the bank just right. in case. Right. And that's where people often fall short. And I've done it myself. So I know. Right. Yeah, exactly. And it, and it happens um, because, you know, you have to plan on unexpected expenses coming up and delays and all of the other things that go into it you can have the best laid plans everything and something will happen whether it's a natural disaster or the city screws you over on your permitting or whatever it is can't get your liquor license who knows but all of that every single day costs money and yeah. it adds up so quickly and then you know the worst part is when you're delayed at the very end you now you've hired a bunch of people and you're paying them and they got no place to work but you you can't stop paying them because you don't want to lose them and now you're you're it's a snowball it's a complete snowball so and not a good one not a good one no not a happy snowball um <laughs> so yeah i mean that that's that that's what i would say to somebody who really is is intent on getting into the industry is understand that the amount of free capital that's going to be needed is twice as much as you actually anticipate um that's 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 really a great nugget of advice the number one thing it's because, so true um folks go out and get loans or they raise money from friends and family um and you know everything goes under budget yeah you never open on time because of permits it's and you got to cover thing every time yeah, yeah it is it's, it's the same thing every time um and then you know if you're fortunate enough to get through that whole process um and get open and start operating my next suggestion would be don't blink right don't don't ever leave it alone you know um be as active and involved and you know as as conceivable possible that you can just stay in it because 
until you get a really solid foundation and you've been open for a while and you've got great people in place and you trust them and, and, and things are stable, you have to be attentive. It is truly like having a newborn. Yeah, it really it is. is. People talk about, this is my baby. Well, it really is because the minute you turn your back, something bad happens. Right? I know it varies, but how long would you say it takes in the average business to get to stabilization? How many months or years? Well, I differentiate a bit between stabilization and profitability because sure. profitability doesn't necessarily mean you're stable. Um, there are places that become profitable after a few months, yeah. right? And, but they're, and they're not in the stable. black, but they're not necessarily stable. I would say it's a nine to 12 month thing. If you're comfortable after nine to 12 months, comfortable mentally, physically, sure. not, not financially, but you know, if you're comfortable with the way things are going after nine to 12 months, probably doing okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and you're not scrambling and, you know, trying to make payroll every two weeks and all of that kind of stuff. Um, that's, that's where I would tend to feel a little bit more comfortable that things are under control and at least got your arms wrapped around how things are going. Um, so that's, you know, it varies and it also depends on the size of the operation. Gotcha. Um, but there can be a lot of pressures, particularly in that first year, with all the headaches and all the bullshit related to this business that we both know all too well. People, people on the outside don't see that. They, they don't. I'll, you know, it's, I could tell you many stories and I'm sure you could do the same. What is it? Why do you do this? What do you, you know, what are you most passionate about it, with all of the headaches, the bullshit, the things you have to go through, the responsibility, the liability, it's all on your back when you come in. Why are you doing this? Yeah. So you know, it's, it's a little bit different now because I'm not necessarily doing it myself. Um, when I was kind of really deep involved in it, there were, there were a number of reasons. One, I was really learning a ton, which was great. I mean, I love that. Um, I like the environment. It's, it's part of my personality in terms of being social. Um, you know, the, sitting in a law firm office and working behind a computer all yeah. day wasn't really feeding that. Um, and you know, I like, I'm, I'm very analytical and very practical and I like to be able to look at something, take it apart, figure it out, put it back together and see if we can make it better. Yeah. Um, and the practicality comes in when you say, well, it's just not going to work and you need to punt. Um, but uh, you know, it's really kind of that social aspect that drew me to it. And I will tell you in the 15 years that I've been doing this, I, you know, I've been very, very fortunate to be involved, um, in a lot of different organizations. Um, I was a president of the Houston restaurant association for a while. I'm very involved at the state level now in the Texas restaurant association. And I have met some of the most amazing and wonderful people just through the business sure. over the years. And it's been, a learning experience. It's been just fantastic in, in terms of the, the types of people that get involved in the Houston's business. Houston's just such a great city. Well, it's and a some fantastic of us take city. it for granted and yeah. just don't realize it. No, overall it's a tremendous city. And as we know, it's now being touted truthfully as the most diverse city in the country. And that holds true, especially in the restaurant industry in Houston. Yeah, There's absolutely. 60 different cuisines, you know, countries and nationalities represented. Um, it's a vast, vast market, but by and large, and it, it's a tremendous community. The community is fantastic. Um, it is so together 
and so supportive. I mean, it is rare. I mean, really rare. And this has been this way for 15 years for me being involved in it. I never hear about people backstabbing and sniping at each other. And all you see, all you hear about here locally is who's helping whom, how they're doing it, how they can get involved. I mean, when we were opening some of the new restaurants, I had people reaching out from restaurants that I hadn't heard from. Can we make food for your staff? Are you, we, we just want to bring you some foods as you're doing your training, you know, things like That's that. That's amazing. All these events, the, the charitable events that get put on, all the organizations that benefit from the industry, um, the, the chef community and the restaurateur community here is extremely tight, very close, very, very supportive of one another. And I'm, I'm sure it's like that in other cities. Uh, I haven't experienced, I haven't lived in other cities, haven't been involved in other cities uh, in the industry, but I, I can't imagine it's any better than, than it is here. I mean, it's really, really fantastic. So, you know, back to your original question about why to do it, um, I think I get more fulfilled by just being able to be around these types of people and these people in this community and be involved in this community. I mean, I love that. Um, and now doing this new role, I have even more opportunity to yeah, meet yeah. more people um, and, and, to and, to do, help. and to help uh, to do that kind of project-based thing where I can come in and maybe make a difference, add some value. Um, that, to me, is pretty rewarding. So I like that. Yeah, I love it, too. It's, <laughs> it's a fun business. It's very yeah. similar to what you do. I, yeah. I loved it. Yeah. Well, great. Anything else you want to leave with the people before we check out of here? Um, I want to know uh, about your your name. Why are you John Jonathan and and not John? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we were, you know, it's. I, I think it just had to do with age. Uh, okay. My dad, when I was younger, called me John. Okay. And you know, my dad was very strict and stern, and you know, John. And when I was young, it was all I knew. And then when I got into my teens, uh, on my mom's side of the family, my brothers, everybody called me Johnny. Ah. So I was Johnny. I mean, had Johnny Sports Bar right, you know, right, as I yeah, got older. Yeah, yeah. And, um, so I, I was Johnny forever. But then when I got into corporate and started running my marketing companies and doing a little bit more business, and Johnny was always, you know, Johnny Wiseman. He was yeah. that crazy club kid and right. owned the nightclubs. He was on the bar pouring liquor down people's mouths. <laughs> and, you know, it, I think that the Johnny Wiseman had a persona or, right, you know, right. to him. And, I wanted to graduate from that. Yeah. I wanted to change that. So instead of going back to John, uh, which reminded me of my dad, you know, yeah. telling me to go to my room and grounding me, I <laughs> uh, just went back to Jonathan. Gotcha. And, gotcha. Uh, and it's funny because I'll get an email from my dad, you know, or, and it's John. Right. And I'm just, I get yeah. cringe. <laughs> so the, the reason it came up, I was talking about um, my change, you know, I started out, I told everybody when I was growing up that my name was John. I, I, was, I was named Jonathan. And my mother used to get on my butt all the time when I was growing up. She said, your name is Jonathan, okay? If I wanted people to call you John, I would have named you John, right? <laughs> your name is Jonathan. So I went all the way through college as John, much to my parents' chagrin. So then when I went into law school, I was like, this is my opportunity to change, right? I'm gonna do this career thing. I'm going to meet all new people. So from that point forward, I was Jonathan and I've been Jonathan ever since. So it, other than my college buddies, right? Nobody, nobody calls me John. Now, however, my mother calls me John <laughs> and I'm like, 
I spent all this time because <laughs> you gave me so much crap about people calling me John. And now when I call her, she, I mean, she talks to people, she, she calls me John. I'm That's like, this hilarious. Is ridiculous. This is absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> so it can't win. That's it just, amazing. It just can't win. We're going to have to get your mom on the show. <laughs> oh, God. Ladies and gentlemen, I appreciate y'all tuning in. This is Jonathan Horowitz with Horowitz Consulting. If you're in the hospitality business, you have any questions, reach out to him. We'll put his contact information below. I'm Jonathan Wiseman. This is another episode of The Grit. Appreciate y'all tuning in.